like during the week we'd be touring around doing our thing in whatever it was you know in some far corner of the uh, the empire <coughs> usually it was Mas the empire, empire. Yes. empire. <laughs> and um <laughs> and we'd uh, look forward to you know this incredible day this sunday this sort of reunion as it was for it was us mm. i mean we used to live for that didn't we i mean i did I, and i know you didn't I suppose Spike used to feel a bit weary because during the week he wrote most of it when poor Larry was mm -hmm. alive with Larry or on his own maybe. Well, Eric Sykes too. Well, and Eric yeah, Sykes as well. And Eric, mm -hmm. yes, Eric used to write several of the shows with Spike. And uh, I think that um, the Sunday get-together used to sort of, you know, put a charge into Spike and, and, and the thing used to get off the ground. Mm -hmm. We really had a marvellous time. It was probably, as I say, I, I think looking back... Uh, the most happy time professionally I've ever spent in my really? life. Really, it might have. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, you mentioned uh, the, the, the um, spike and writing stuff, and in fact there's a book out of, uh, a splendid book too, which you've got a copy of here, of the Goon Show scripts, written and selected by, oh, yeah. by Spike, with drawings by the three of you. I'll tell you one thing that's in here that's very amusing, I found, as, as much as the script, and that's, and you saw some of that on the film, these extraordinary sound effects. <laughs> and there's one marvellous one in here which says something like, uh, noise of two hippos walking away, or knocking into one another. If you can't get two hippos, two lions will do. <laughs> <laughs> joking folks i'm full of enthusiasm because i've got returning guest mike haskins with me today and we're going to be talking about a fantastic book um more of this now 50 years ago this year the goons were causing something of a hubbub in the news uh, most notably they reformed for one night only to perform the last goon show of all in front of a distinguished audience to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the bbc and the flurry of resultant publicity prompted a resurgence of interest in the show some 12 years after the series proper had ended. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at a book that became a bestseller and was for many their first exposure to Goonshow humour. Back before there were that many radio repeats, LPs or cassettes of the show, uh, let alone Spotify and YouTube. Many's the tale of a downy-cheeked youth idly flipping through his father's bookshelf and delighting upon a bright yellow slim volume with scribbled drawings and lots of silly jokes inside. Yes, today we're talking about The Goon Show Scripts, which is 50 years old this year and remains one of the standout comedy tie-in books of all time, with a foreword by Peter Sellers, backword by Harry Seacombe, and introduction by Spike Milligan, uh, which isn't really an introduction at all, just an excuse to riff about flower pots and knees really. Uh, the book contains nine scripts selected from series five and six, including two that we've covered on this podcast so far, Napoleon's Piano and The Phantom Headshaver. So uh, firstly, I'm going to ask Mike about his history with the book and his first memories of it. Well, you see what you've done there, Tyler, is you've just run through everything I had prepared to say 
for this podcast. So that's it now. <laughs> right. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Lovely to be back. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, there were three Guncho script books that I remember in the 70s. I mean, there's been other other script books since or books with scripts in, but the, these are the ones that I particularly remember I bought at the time. Mm. And um, there was the Guncho scripts. That was the first one. And then they followed that up, of course, with more Guncho scripts. And then what else could it be for the third one? But the Book of the Goons. Mm. And as, as a callow youth, I bought this uh, first one as a paperback. 55p it cost me, which at the time was not one, but multiple weeks of pocket money for me. And I went and bought this from Philip's son and nephew, which was on Whitechapel in Liverpool. It's a nice old bookshop yep. opposite where Nems used to be. I don't remember Nems, but I remember Philip's son and nephew. And in fact, Paul McCartney says in in uh, many years from now, the book he did with uh, Barry Miles, mm. he says he used to go into Philip's son and nephew and nick books <gasps> off the shelves there. I wouldn't do that. Heavens. But that's why Paul McCartney is where he is today. And that's why I am where I am today. Uh, but <laughs> Too honest for your own good. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, I got this, uh, I got this as the paperback. And then the other one, the next one was coming out, more Goon Show scripts. I wanted to get that one. And, uh, but absolute disaster, because what happened, Tyler? They had the hardback of more Goon Show scripts in WH Smith and Birkenhead, and it was vastly reduced. Mm. So I had to buy that rather than the paperback. So now I've got the paperback of the first one and the hardback of the second one. So they don't match at all on the bookshelf. Little paperback and big hardback. Wow. Never mind. You haven't got OCD, have you? Because that would drive well, you absolutely potty if you had OCD. Oh, it gets worse. It gets okay, worse. Go on. Because then mm. the third one comes out. So I think, well, obviously it's going to either match the first one or yeah. the second one. Mm. Didn't match either. By that stage, they were the different publisher, completely different size of books. So I've got three books on the bookshelf. None of them match each other. Oh, oh I know, I know. Never mind. <laughs> but, um, of these three, I would say I uh, I particularly love the first. They're all great. They're all great. It was great to get them. Yes. Uh, but uh, of the first three, I particularly love the first two. Of the first two, I particularly love the first one. Mm. And of the first one, I particularly love this paperback edition with the lovely yellow cover that you yes. mentioned before. Yes, and this, it now. this sort of, this um, lovely squidgy 1970s writing on the front, like balloons saying the mm. Guncho scripts. Mm. And there's great picture because that's the other thing. Um, nowadays, if you do a hardback and a paperback, uh, the cover might be pretty similar, but they've got a completely different cover on this paperback edition from the hardback. The hardback uses sort of, the scribbly sort of doodles off the scripts and it's a sort of rather greeny gray sort of thing but this is a lovely bright yellow thing and it's got this great picture of them on the front with um a painting that somebody's done and uh, there's harry seacombe a sort of very midi seagoon sort of saluting on the front and uh sellers in the middle and yeah. uh, milligan young milligan you know not this sort of you know the old man tramp sort of look that he started to affect sometime in the 1960s. And then, um, um, but yes, I, so yeah. And they seem to be in a barrel floating on the sea. It's their turn in the barrel. It's, it, is, um, it is. Can I just make a point about this? Yeah, I agree. I love the cover of the paperback of uh, the Gucci scripts. It's it's very arresting, the, the image. And, but then you look at the, the follow-up book, more Gucci scripts, and I don't like that picture at all. 
it's a picture of the three of them. Um, but it's like somebody drew that without knowing what they look like and was just going from somebody's description mm. of the three of them. Yeah. <laughs> I you know? know, I know, yes. Yeah, no, definitely, this is the best best picture of them of all, I think, the best painting. I don't even know who did it. It doesn't say on the book. No. And then on the back cover, you have all the um, the reviews, which are very exciting at the time. Because remember, I bought this. I had never heard a goon show. I just went and bought this. Why? Why would any child go and buy this? I was just a small boy. Yeah, and, well, you uh, were one of those downy-cheeked youths. Oh, no, no. You didn't discover it on your father's bookshelf. You went and... No, I, I went and went bought it myself. Yeah. What so was it that really prompted odd. that? What prompted that? Um, I That is the question. I think I was just getting into comedy. And... The big thing, I suppose, on the telly at the time was was the goodies. Yes. And um, massive fan of the goodies at the time. Obviously never seen Monty Python. Uh, not allowed to stay up that late. But the goodies was on at an appropriate time so you could watch that. And mm. uh, that was great fun. And um, we'd gone on holiday to a, a muddy field in Wales, my mum and dad. And we were staying in a caravan. And um, get this, kids, in those days, no telly if you're away on holiday in these sort of places, no internet, obviously nothing. So there's just the radio. So we listened to the radio and uh, I discovered then that there were comedy shows on Radio 4. And at, the, at that point, they were on at uh, quarter past six in the evening. It was the news finished at quarter past six. And so there'd be things like, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, which had only just started. Mm, yep. you know, there was a series on which no one has ever heard of. And uh, have you ever heard of this? It was... Well, it was about a family called The Things. I remember distinctly, this was on the week the week that we were in the caravan. It was a very goonish sort of sitcom. And uh, do you know anything about this? Called I think the show, the show might have been called Life's What You Make It or something like that. And dad in this was Michael Robbins off of... Um, off on the buses. On the buses. Was it Pat Coombs as the... I can't well, remember. It would be. It's bound to be Pat Coombs. Because Pat to Coombs be. must be default... Yeah. Default yes, downtrodden yes. wife, yeah, obligatory at the mm. time. And I think the two kids were two of the people from, you know, please, sir, you know, the uh, John Olsen, um, uh, but they were all John in their Olsen. 20s. <laughs> I know, that's right. <laughs> it was very sort of goodish, and uh, it's never been heard since this weird thing. But I remember, you know, just like Blue Bottle, the you know, the sun would be killed every week or something. And oh, can I come back next week anyway, Dad? All right, son. Um, so yeah, and it was written by Tony Bilbo, which is even odder. Do you know who Tony Bilbo is? No, no, absolutely no idea. Um, he would be like the Mark Kerr mode of um, the 1970s, a sort of film review kind of guy oh. uh, who, who'd crop up on the BBC in various places or, you know, arts reviewer or something. And uh, yeah, he'd written this, I think it, I think this is right from my uh, little bit of research. Anyway, and the, the other thing that was on sort of that year towards the end of the year, because speaking of the goodies, was they did the final series of I'm Sorry, I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, which was terrific. Mm. So, uh, so obviously, you know, Graham, Tim and Bill were all in that and John Cleese as well. So, uh, yeah, that was that was that was very good. And so I think it was just from being interested in that sort of thing and yeah. picking up. I was aware of the individual goods, as we were talking about last time. Mm. And uh, you would pick up these kind of little Milligan books, you know, Dustbin of Milligan and so on. And you got them for about 20p at the time. So it's a bargain. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's some of those. And then just sort of discovering, oh, they were all in this thing together. But uh, no, so I, I bought this, didn't know, didn't really know anything about the Goon Show. 
because it's called the Goon Show scripts. What did I expect? What did I think I was getting? It's not called some Goon Show scripts, is it? It's not called a few Goon Show scripts. I thought I was getting the lot. Oh, right. So the sum total it's of... The, it's mm. the Goon Show scripts, isn't it? Yes. And, yes. Uh, yeah. So um, but then you get it, and there's only nine in there. I mean, at some point I realised that, uh, how are they going to fit them all in? There's hundreds of these things. <laughs> so I don't know how I knew that, but... Um, well, it's the second, it's the, it's the more Goon Show scripts book that um, has a list of all the Goon Shows in it. Well, that, yeah, that was terrific. That was so... <laughs> These days, you can't believe it. These days, you just find that stuff, can't you, online? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, in Morgan Show scripts, you get, um, was it, Goonology. Mm. And it's got a whole list. And I was absolutely fascinated by this, by, yeah, 10,000 fathoms down in the wardrobe. I, you know, what is that? What's that, you know? So the titles of the shows were as entrancing as you know the scripts themselves almost the case of the vanishing room and you know all this sort of thing the saga of the internal mountain all these ones you know from sort of prehistory that uh yeah you know, popping just, up on the repeats i'm just looking at it now and it was before the wilmot companion came out yeah, yeah. and it's, it's the wilmot companion warns you off that goonology it says it's very spurious and misleading well yeah because i'm just looking at some of the titles here that we've got listed for example series nine episode one is entitled the nude welshman <laughs> um which i think is the sahara desert statue right um, and then you've got 1957 bulldog seagoon's first case the baram oasis not the barami oasis mm. so many so many inaccuracies here um it's quite charming isn't it it's quite yeah antiquated well you see what they're trying to do there is puff that or fill that book out because the first one has got quite a few articles in the beginning hasn't it before we actually get to the scripts mm. and um i thought these were great as well but in the second one they're, they're sort of it's like they haven't got quite as much there's uh the descriptions of all the characters and they completely reprint that exactly the same in the end papers yes and then you get you get a page of something about eccles from spike don't you like he's just sort of you know put pen to paper um rather reluctantly and just another page and how do you fit this in because uh, you should have done one for every every character but he's just done two of them but uh, now the first one i thought was great because it's got these it's got these newspaper cuttings uh, they just sort of create the atmosphere of uh, particularly the old ones from the 1950s. You've got Goonland in Danger by Philip Oakes. Who is Philip Oakes, Tyler? Do you recognise that name? No, but I know that that article is from a highfalutin publication. Yeah, uh, so it's, art. Yeah, so it's not it's not your run of the mill Daily Mirror. No, Philip Oakes is the guy who co-wrote uh, the Punch and Judy Man with Tony Hancock. Oh. After after Hancock had ditched Galton and Simpson to make his, um, you know, big international success. <laughs> after all, yeah. he'd been getting Galton and Simpson to write all these film scripts for him. Never produced. They were sitting there in Ray Galton's attic when I went to see him. And where are they? Where are they now? Somebody's got to do them. Put them yeah. on Radio 4. So, yeah, you've got this uh, article, Goonland in Danger. So that, that's Philip Oakes. There's another one, which I love. The Goons as Others See Them which is yes. in the Radio Times, which is what, October 1958. So that is 
just before the ninth series begins, is it? Yes, I think it yeah. was around that time. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's the sort of piece you'd have, you know, that a new series on, and you know they've done a feature in the Radio Times, and this is absolutely great because uh, this is by Gail Pedrick. Do you know who Gail Pedrick is? Oh, yeah, I do, and I can't. It's it's oh go on. Gail Pedrick was a script editor at the BBC, mm. and speaking of Galton and Simpson, he was the guy who first got Galton and Simpson in. So Galton and Simpson had written to Frank Muir and Dennis Norden, who were the great heroes as scriptwriters. I think they wrote to them from the you know the TV center. Yeah, yeah. They met. Yep. And um, and Frank and Dennis were very sort of you know encouraging as they would be, very nice men. And they put him onto um, put them onto Gail Pedrick, who's the script editor, who invited then invited them in, and that's how Galton and Simpson got started. Uh, okay. Uh, but he does this this piece of um, going around sort of various kind of names and seeing what they think of the goons. And uh, he starts off with Michael Foote. He says, Spike Milligan is my favorite anarchist. And uh, yeah, he's very into, into uh, I've, got a copy, uh, I've got a copy of um, Gulliver's Travels in the uh, Penguin edition as an introduction from Michael Foote. He mentioned Milligan in that as well. Oh, right. So, so yeah, so he was very into it. If uh, Michael Foote, younger listeners, he was um, a veteran Labour MP and um, briefly became Labour leader and uh, endured much derision, unfortunately, uh, in the early 80s. Oh, the uh, the donkey coat that he wore the, at the, the Cenotaph, is that right? That's right, which was mm. not a donkey jacket at all. Donkey jacket. Uh, but yet, uh, these days, uh, politicians can get away with looking like, you know, uh, an explosion in a haystack factory, and uh, nobody says a word. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he moves on, and uh, he's got the royals, so royal involvement there. Uh, <laughs> Kenneth Morey talks to. It seemed to me that Kenneth Moore might well be a goon addict. You've come to the right man, said Kenneth. That's a great <laughs> phrase, isn't it? You've come to the right man. I love that. Because, of course, yes, he'd been in one of Harry's earliest things, Toad of Toad Hall. He talks about that years before. Maybe it's a TV version, Toad of Toad Hall. Um, and finally, the, <laughs> this is absolutely brilliant. Did you see this in the article? Um, so he, he gets on to uh, young Master John Mitchell, who plays Jennings, on the yes. BBC's Jennings at School, which is, you know, kind of schoolboy, funny schoolboy stories by Anthony Buckeridge, which I absolutely loved. I thought they were great. But they had a series on the radio, I think, and uh, young John Mitchell plays <laughs> Jennings. So he says, I think all schoolboys love the goons because they're so funny. I know I always listen. And like all my friends, I clipped all their records and know all their famous sayings, like he's fallen in the water. <laughs> By what name is John Mitchell better known, Tyler? I don't know. It's Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi <gasps> Hendrix Experience. No. <laughs> yes, absolutely is. I click their records and know all their famous sayings, like he's fallen in the water. Oh, my so, word. Yeah, he was a child actor before he became... Is this the sort of um, conversation that he was having with the uh, plaster casters of Chicago as they came <laughs> draw a veil over that. This is a family podcast. <laughs> hey, um, so, yeah. so they, It's just on, Gen just, just on Jennings. I think I'm right in saying. I might be wrong. And if I am, I'll edit it out so I don't sound stupid. But I'm pretty sure that in the 70s, they did a radio version of Jennings. And not Jennings himself, but one of the other characters in the Jennings uh, adaptation was played by a young Jeremy Clarkson. Really? Mm. Good Lord. 
you're quite right. Jeremy Clarkson's first job for the BBC, age 12, he played the role of Atkinson in uh, the radio adaptation of uh, Jennings. Excellent. So, there you go. I know what I'm going to do. Practice my piece for the party. For goodness sake, Atkinson, put a sock in it. What's the matter with you, Temple? Don't you appreciate good music? Crash, bang, thump, wallop. It sounds more like stones on a tin roof. You're jealous, that's all. It'll be bad enough having to sit through it tomorrow. We don't want to listen to it now as well. You can't do a thing in this school. First old Wilkie stops me and now you lot. Well, screw your earplugs in because I'm going ahead. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so as you were saying, this comes out in 1972, right? Mm. And that is because that is the year of Lascun Choval. Mm-hmm. And Lascun Choval is in, in 1972 because we move on to more digressions now. It's 50 years of the BBC. And I will reach for last time I was on, we were talking about the uh, Parkinson meets the goons record. Yes. It's amazing that uh, they had an episode of a chat show that was so popular, they put it out on an LP. So it's 50 years of the BBC. So what do the BBC do? They release 50 years of the BBC on a record. <laughs> and um, it, it doesn't fit just on one record, of course, it's a double LP. So I've got it here and it is the most amazing thing, right? So it is 50 years of broadcasting, you know, sort of, celebrating the BBC, all the best bits of the BBC. You know, what, mm-hmm. what shall I put on and listen to tonight? You know, should we have a bit of um, ABBA or James Less? <laughs> shall I listen to the best of, you know, news bulletins from the 1920s on the BBC? So uh, let's yes, put on, let's, let's put on some Alva Liddell tonight. <laughs> well, yeah, he's probably on here somewhere. The mm. first person on this, actually, I should have checked this before I came on, but was he going in 1922, John Snag? somebody from The Goon Show. So he's the first person you hear on this record. Right. Um, um, there are, I should just say, there's 127 tracks on this record, and I'm going to go through each one of them individually now. Uh, so John Snag is the first person you get on it, right? And uh, Chimes of Big Ben, BBC Calling the World from London. It's John Snag, maybe it is 1922. I don't know how old he was. Um, but he's also the last person who's still going in 1972, John Snag. So they've sort of, mm. you know, bookended mm. it with it. And you get all these, I love a lassie by Harry Lauder. And, um, you know, the opening wow. of Tutankhamun's tomb <gasps> with Dr. Howard Carter and then Tutankhamun's trumpet, which I, I don't not, don't play that because I think it'd be a curse on me if I, if I put that on. <laughs> um, and uh, you get a bit confused by looking at, um, you know, because they've got, what the title of the track is and then who did it on the other side and it you, you glance at this and it looks like happy days are here again performed by hg wells but uh, <laughs> th- that, that's not quite it's actually jack Payne and the bbc dance orchestra and hg wells is on just above them a short extract from a talk on communications right but um side two right <laughs> so this is going through 50 years the bbc across these two records right so side two things take a dark turn so you start off with um gracie fields doing sally and then you have it, well that is dark yeah no 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 wait wait for right. it followed up by we're the blue of the night by bing crosby then you have henry hall 
and the BBC Dance Orchestra, little clip from them. And then what else could it be to follow that up? But Speech from the Reichstag, 30th of January, 1934 by Hitler. Mm. So that, mm. that's... Uh, that's track four on side, side two. <laughs> That's followed up by Mussolini and Goebbels. And then it's back to Ambrose and his orchestra. Gosh. So from, from Gracie Fields to Hitler in what? Five tracks? Yeah. Mm. That's right, yeah. Sounds about right. And then later on, you've got an extract from Bandwagon with, um, you know, Arthur Eskey and yes. Richard Stinker Murdoch before, you know, going on to the declaration of war by Neville Chamberlain. And then side three is all war it's just solid war the whole side right is to, so by the end of side three on this record bear in mind they're going from 1922 to 1972 they're going through the years like you know just like all the best bits by the end of side three they've reached the end of the war 1945 so that's 23 years the right. remaining 27 years are all on side four <laughs> <laughs> so, well it better be good stuff then well, you do get a bit of the goons on side four. What do you get? So, uh, you get a tiny clip of Tales of Old Dartmoor. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, mm. uh, along with um, Mrs. Dale's Diary, Have mm. a Go. Uh, you get a bit from Round the Horn. No Dad's Army. Dad's Army is only four years old at the time. Obviously no Faulty Towers, because it's before Faulty Towers. You get a bit of Till Death as Dupart, because that was thought to be a big thing. You don't even get the moon landings. But anyway, it's... it's it's just an amazing mix of stuff. Mm. So, yep. Yeah, so that's um, 50 years of the BBC. So that's why you've got Last Goon Show of All in 1972. But the thing is, important in our story, that Last Goon Show of All is recorded in April of the year. And it doesn't go out until about October, right? That's right, yep. Yeah. So that's a vital few months because it's in that period that the book is put together. So, in fact go back to our book of Gunther's scripts and um, you have some, again, you have some articles about the, uh, about the Les Gunther of all, the goons now, and there's a picture of them with the royals, the royals mm -hmm. all turned up uh, there with the, and it's amazing really, isn't it? It's Prince Philip and um, Princess Margaret, Lord Snowden, Princess Anne with a bit of a face on her. Uh, Harry Seacombe has obviously just blown a particularly funny raspberry. Uh, he, <laughs> uh, he and the, uh, Prince Philip are giggling away it's just the funniest thing ever. Yeah. And uh, Princess Anne is just saying, oh, God, get me out of here. Princess Anne <laughs> has a face on her like somebody's just dropped one in the room. Yes. And she's just... Totally. She's so, got... Thank God Charles isn't here. Yeah. Uh, doing his blue Charles, bottle impressions. Charles sends the telegram, doesn't he? Because he's mm. away on HMS Norfolk. Uh, last night my hair fell out and my knees dropped off having turned green with end. Don't do that, Charles. Don't do the goon stuff. No, please. no, I know. I agree. So, yeah. Did you know HMS Norfolk, 10 years later, was sold to Chile and renamed Capitan Pratt? That is not a joke. That is true. <laughs> it's a sort of goonish name. Uh, maybe they pronounce it, pronounce it different, differently in Chilean. But, uh, yeah, Capitan Pratt. So um, a better name for a boat I've yet to hear, I think. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So all the royals are there. Queen's got out of it. You know, she's, you know, shampooing the corgis. Washing her hair. Mm. Yes. It's mm. got a good excuse. But also, also, I would just note that this is some kind of breach of royal protocol, isn't it? Because look at the picture. The goons are all sitting there and all the royals are having to stand around them. That can't be right, surely. So, um, of course, another important person 
who was there in the audience that night is a guy called Jeremy Robson, right? And um, Jeremy Robson is, uh, he's somebody who knows Milligan of old because his dad was Dr. Joseph Robson and he was a doctor who specialized in hypnotherapy. And Milligan came to him one day about 1956 and came to him for you know treatment for his problems and he uh, he walks in and apparently his opening line to dr robson was um i don't trust doctors and i don't trust you it's a good start isn't it you, oh, know, you can't that. see yes. the doctor yes mm. don't trust doctors and i don't yeah. trust you he, uh, dr robson replied he wasn't there to prove himself and showed him the door another great phrase you know people don't show, show <laughs> people the door often enough you know, there's the door there you go um, however, Milligan, Milligan was so impressed with this man standing up to him, but of course they remained the very best of friends from that day forward. Mm, yeah. And, uh, uh, and he would go there every day in the end, Milligan, for his right. hypnotherapy. Right. And uh, obviously that was very, very successful because from that day on, he had no trouble with his mental health whatsoever, yeah. did he? Yeah. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, so Jeremy Robson is the son of um, Dr. Robson. Right, would have been a teenager then, so he knows Milligan. He's, he's invited along to the show. That's, um, by... that's what that's one of my favourite um, songs on Revolver. Is Doctor Robson, by the way. Doctor Robson, of course. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <That's> who it was. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so he he's invited along to the uh, recording of Last Goon Show by uh, Max Geldray, and um, so he's there in the audience. And at that stage, Jeremy Robson is working for a guy called Frank Cass. And uh, Frank Cass has acquired a uh, publishing outlet called the Woburn Press. So, you know, Robson is looking around for, you know, possible ideas for books. And so mm. he goes to this, sh this recording and he comes up with the idea of the Goon Show scripts. And um, luckily for him, the show isn't going out for about six months or something, presumably because of, I presume the gap must be to do with Sellers, you know, filming commitments, because obviously Sellers was on a roll at the time, wasn't he? You know, uh, he's got, um, what did he have out of the time? Where Does It Hurt? Oh. This is, uh, I, which I've never seen. Oh, it's terrible. But, uh, it's terrible. <laughs> never watch that. Don't watch that film. It's um... The, um, the review that it says on Wikipedia says, if you hate doctors, Mexicans, homosexuals, blacks, Females, Catholics, Jews, Italians, Japanese, insurance companies, hospitals, poles, and humanity, you'll love this movie. This, this well, does not see, see, I don't hate any of them. That's why I didn't like it. No, that's right. Yeah. That's quite right. Uh, and of course, the following year, it's uh, Ghost in the Noonday Sun and The Blockhouse. Mm. So honestly, every, everyone a box office smash. <laughs> but neither of those been released to this day. Well, The Blockhouse has just come out on um, Blu-ray. Mm. Ah, oh, right. Well, there we are. Literally the week that we're recording this, it came out. This right. Mm. So you have that then. Uh, it's on its way. Oh my God! Right. So wh which lucky, which lucky guest will be discussing that with you? And we, funny enough, on. you mark. You may mark. I have got someone lined up in the future to talk about that because they, they they've got a lot out of that film. So um, uh, I'm sure we'll find things to talk about. <laughs> Jeremy Robson comes up with the idea of doing the Goon Show script books. And uh, so he takes it to uh, Sellers and Seacombe. Harry loves the idea and Sellers gives it his, his blessing. The one who's a bit cool on it is Milligan because he quite rightly points out the show is not on anymore. So, um, but nevertheless, um, you know, they put together this book and um, 
So the question is, right, if you were doing this book, how would you see, there's nine scripts in here. How would mm. you structure it if you, were, if you were doing this? Bear in mind, nine scripts in the book. The Goon Show was on for, what, nine years, mm. 10 series. Mm. How, how would you, how would you find, if this book didn't exist, how would you go about um, compiling it now? Do you mean every? Are you talking about um, what sort uh, of span of scripts would you? Oh, I see. Choose right. Okay, so you'd have you'd maybe have a representative script from each series. A, a script from each series, yes. Yeah. that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yes, because hmm. it, it's on for nine years, so you could have one from each year. Yeah, across the series, tell the story of the show through the choice of scripts that you put in the book. Sure. That would yeah. make perfect sense. That's not what they do at all, of course. Um, in this uh, this first book, they uh, they they have um, one lot of scripts from series five, episodes three to six, and then six series, um, a few episodes picked out from that, and then that's it. So it's all right from the middle of the run. And then um, the following book, of course, it's uh, even more bizarre. It's just the second half of series nine. Yes. You know, just one after the other. No, <laughs> no choice whatsoever. Just, you know, episodes nine to 17, one after the other. That's your book. Then the final book, Book of the Goons, which uh, they were obviously running out of scripts that they could draw on because that's only got five scripts in it. First one is um, Fred Fu Manchu, which was from series six. So really that would have fitted into the, this first book then uh, you've got a couple from series eight spring yeah. robberies and the spawn plague and then a couple from the final series yeah including robin's post which yeah. i think is the telltale sign because um is that a particularly good episode oh i didn't see you it was all out there one two three four five <laughs> Oh, not such a big crowd tonight, then. I wonder if Little Bottle's losing the public that has kept him in licorice and long shorts for all these years. I wonder if I'm a fallen idol, another was been. No, no, Kellogg's, no. I shall go on from triumph to triumph. My trousers have come down. <laughs> Never again will I trust knotted string from Freedom Milch. Never. Oh, <laughs> you better have a brandy. There we are. No, thank you. <laughs> There's always something, isn't there? There's always something fun in them. But um, I mean, I think they said at the time this was going to be the final book of scripts. Because presumably the, the well had run dry for you know what they could draw from. Well, so, just just on the second book of scripts, and you say that it's they're all drawn from the ninth series. Yeah. And I got that more Goonshow scripts fairly early on in my my fandom, and. When I got, in fact, I think I got both. So I got the, the Goonshow scripts and the more Goonshow scripts more, more or less around the same time. Now, the difference with the Goonshow scripts was that I'd heard all those shows mm. that were listed. So I already, already knew what the shows sounded like. Whereas there were quite a number of shows in the more Goonshow scripts book that I hadn't heard. And I read the scripts and I 
reread the scripts. And then when I finally did actually hear those shows, I'm talking about, for example, um, the Tay Bridge disaster. and, and I think the Call of the West as well, that was one. When I actually heard the actual shows, I remember feeling that they, they didn't sound right. And, and, and I can't explain what I mean, but they sounded... it Because I was used to reading the scripts of those shows, the shows themselves hmm. were, under, were underwhelming. And I can't put my finger on why that would be. Yeah, I think that's the thing about... because. <laughs> In a way, I feel that about all the scripts because I read them all first before I heard anything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's always been a bit like that. Um, somehow, you know, it's like uh, you have a different sort of idea of how they're going to sound. Yeah. In I your think, head I as think you read so. through. You hear um, the characters speaking these lines yeah. that you're reading. And then when you hear them in reality, when you hear the, the actual broadcast version, yeah. very often it's not how you imagine they would yeah. say that line. No, that's right. Yeah, very much. And just the whole ambience of it is just not quite as you imagined. Mm. But uh, now the thing about Robin's Post is, you know, if you're doing a final book of scripts, why wouldn't you include uh, Last of the Smoking Seagans? Surely yeah. the final final yeah. show and, you know, a decent script. Why not put that in? So that is why it's my contention that these scripts that appear in these three books is not a selection at all. These just happen to be the scripts that Milligan had in boxes in his office the day that the publishers came round. <laughs> I can't prove this. Probably. But the selection is so odd. I mean, you know, they're all good scripts. And obviously, partly what they're trying to do is uh, that it's all Milligan scripts, isn't it? So it's all yes. going to be Milligan solo, uh, which also has its own kind of, you know, <laughs> knock-on effect that, uh, yeah, the Gunjo entirely created by spike mm. on his own nobody mm. else ever helped him which as we know is not quite the case yeah but of course in, in that uh, in that uh, third book they they come a slight cropper because one of the scripts is not a milligan solo piece is it it's the spawn plague which was co-written with john Entrebus. john Entrebus, of course yes, yes. and uh, when i did a program about coincidentally mary stevens with john Entrebus in the uh 2008 or something it was and um so i informed him of this <laughs> what do you think of this he didn't know i don't think he knew about it <laughs> you've had a book out you've had some stuff in this book which has sold i don't know how many copies and uh, one of the scripts is yours and uh, yeah he was he was unaware and um I'm not sure if he ever did anything about it. Very, very nice man, John Entrepreneur. Yes. Very nice person indeed. So Robson manages to get the this first book put together, compiled with these scripts out of the box from, you know, Milligan's office um, and puts it all together. And, you know, the cuttings of, from the newspapers and, uh, of course, you've got the new material, which uh, Spike in the end um, contributes, where he's, uh, he's he's got the character descriptions about Eccles and blue bottle and so on uh which, which um sellers reads out some of them doesn't he on the uh, you know vera colin and she she's mentioned in a couple of these things because uh, indeed it says um that grip pipe thin is the son of lord sticky thin and miss vera colin yes. the waitress at paddington station and then uh, it's um william born shoreditch 1900 <laughs> Son of Fred Chopper Cobblers, <laughs> OBE, road sweeper, and Vera Collin. Matter of fact, Vera Collin appears on several other pages, so you got around a bit, obviously. 
Left school at 14, joined Thomas Crapper and Son as T-Boys. Joined, joined Chiselhurst Laundry as T-Boy. Joined Woolwich Arsenal as T-Boy. Conscripted World War I as Private Sappers and Miners T-Boy. Rose to rank of acting unpaid Lance Corporal, injured in action by T-Urn falling on head. Who so, is very common? Well... That's what I want, because, you know, like all these things, you know, you think, well, is it just a name he's plucked out of the air? But usually when you start digging, you can, you know, it's never just plucked out of the air. It's something. And of course, there was a comedy writer called Sid Collin. Yes, there was. Yeah. With, who, um, who was around, who um, co-wrote with Talbot Roth Rothwell and did some of the early carry-ons, didn't he? Sid Collin was the guy who came up with the army game. Right. Of course. Right. Which, uh, of course, Antrobus and um, Mary Stevens and Morris Wiltshire all went on to write on. Yes. Uh, so he did that. And also he was involved with the carry-ons and uh, later with Up Pompeii. Um, so I just wonder, you know, could it be that Vera Collin was Mrs. Sid Collin? I don't know. Mm. I don't know at all. I can't prove it. But, um, but yeah, so they, they get the book out. And so this comes out. The same month as Last Goon Show of All is on the radio, because uh, that's um, October. Last Goon Show is, is broadcast, what, 5th of October, mm. and then it's repeated 1st of November. And then on the it's on the telly on 26th of December. Uh, so they get the book out on the 19th of October. It's in the shops. Yes. Uh, and also the same month, you've got Parkinson Meets the Goons. Uh, that goes out the first time, 28th of October. So you've got all these things all coinciding at the same point. And, you know, so the, the scripts book is not, you know, the, there's nobody who's sort of saying, right, we're going to do a big kind of media thing and we're going to relaunch the goons as a thing in people's minds. And we're going to, you know, there's none of that. The Goon Show scripts is just a sort of add-on that somebody else has had an idea for. And, um, but I think it's, it's that combination of all those things hitting at the same time that just gets all the attention. And then the BBC sees, oh, there is something in the Goon Show after all, you know, because this is, you know, like you say, it's a big seller. So this one I've got, you know, it's been reprinted a few times already. Uh, it's been in a hardback. This is, uh, what have I got? It's been reprinted already in paperback twice in 73 when it came out. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and then of course, you know, following on from this, they, the BBC start issuing the uh, Goon Show Classics records. And I think the first yeah. of those comes out. Yes, 74, I think. And, and that's the thing that is, strikes me as so odd because you'd have obviously had the EMI releases prior yes. to that. Mm -hmm. But there was only really a handful of those. But Yeah, there's why not did, as many as you think. There's not. But why did the BBC wait until... I mean, okay, so they saw the success of the last Goon Show of all, but surely... Mm. Surely there's someone within the echelons of the BBC must have thought in the 60s, you know, it's worthwhile putting out because the EMI records were selling well, weren't they? So surely there must have seen some commercial viability in it, you thought? Well, I guess BBC records wasn't such a thing as it became in the 60s. Uh, so I think it just becomes more of a kind of, um, oh, right, here's a kind of commercial sort of arm to you know, what we can do yeah. and we can start exploiting, uh, you know, our back catalogue this way. And because, um, of course, Goon Show Classics Volume 1, the writing on it, they use the same font as they've got on the front of 
Kuncho scripts, even though there's no connection between the two things. Yeah. So um, they do the dreaded better pudding hurler on side one, don't they? So again, they it's the first one in the um, in the book. So it's all you know. It's almost like they're looking at the book and thinking, "Oh, this is a good thing to go on to." Because before that, the um, BBC Records Goon Show, um, you know, <laughs> range of releases would have been less Goon Show of all. Uh, then you have um, Ray Ellington plays Goon Show hits or whatever it's called. Yep. Um, and uh, what's oh, and Parkinson meets the goons, of course. Yeah. So they were the they were the three that were out. And uh, yeah, so I guess at least two of those did quite well. I, yeah. I'm not sure how many people bought the uh, you know uh, Ray Ellington uh, Goon Show hits. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing to think about is uh, what was the copyright situation on on the on the scripts because really they were BBC property. So um, I wonder if that was an issue at all. They probably, my guess is, no, it wasn't. They just didn't bother. And of course in the fifties, there wouldn't have been any clause in the contract to say, oh, you know, you you can't go and publish this yourself. This is BBC property. Mm. They wouldn't have thought of that. It's just, you know, we need a script for this Sunday and that's it. They didn't think beyond that. And I I guess as well, the fact that Milligan was working for them in the seventies, they probably didn't want to upset the apple cart. No, no. The the doodles, or well, as I was saying, I got this from Phillips and nephew in Liverpool, and uh, not only did they have a big pile of Guncho scripts on another table, book which had come out year before, and uh, I wonder if there had been any comedy books like this before, but uh, the other big one at the time, of course, was Monty Python's Big Red Book. Oh yes, the one with the um, <laughs> the all blue cover. Yeah, and. Um, you know, again, that's a, that's a terrific piece of work, isn't it? Really, because mm. um, you know the sort of thing where just like the entire design of the book, you know, is just it's just packed full. It's everything is just you know it's yeah. just all Monty Python. It's yep. just you know, everything in the design, the layout, just the content, just as much as possible as you can squeeze into the into the book. Obviously, this is Goonsho strips is not quite as you know, not quite as involved as that, but it does have these doodles all the way through it, which again, just really add, you know, to the the flavor of it. And, you know, they're just terrific, you know, just even though just sort of, some of them just sort of scribbly little pictures, but I'll tell you my absolute favorite um, is the one on page 80. Now, you see, the thing is, oh, there it is. Uh, It's the picture of Eccles. Which is on uh, which is on page eighty, which is uh, the beginning of the canal. I love the way these scripts are set out in this book, by the way, because each one of them is sort of presented like a, an individual little play. Which is sort of the way I read it at the time, you know. Yeah. These great sort of stories, you know, yeah. this uh, these sort of gothic horror and you know whatever uh, creepy stories, but you know really funny and just packed with incredible jokes, and. Um, and each one, you know, you've got a title page. It tells you when it was recorded. And uh, then you've got the cast list and you, you have all the characters just listed. You don't do any of this kind of, you know, Peter Sellers plays Blue Bottle, Grip Night Thin. You don't have a list under the net. You've got actually got all the characters listed and who plays them, which is much better. And, is this um, like, because it's also got the synopsis, which yeah. is this lifted directly from the Radio Times listings, do you think? Because they, it's they... too much, isn't it? For the Radio Times. Yeah, we were talking about this. You mentioned it in the show the other week didn't you um and that we were trying to find out about this in jeremy robson's book 
he uh, he says that um, uh, there was some of this material on some of the scripts from Spike, uh, but it wasn't always there. So sometimes they had to get the editor of the book to actually sort of fill in missing bits. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you were talking about it in relation to the Scarlet Capsule the other week, weren't you? Yes, that's right. And, uh, and that one did seem quite sort of, because it had nothing to do with the programme, really. <laughs> so no. You, you, you wouldn't think that the editor would have actually made that up. That must be Milligan. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, some of these seem a little bit... Um, yeah, straightforward, straight to the point. More, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was just looking at this. I've just realised something. This picture. Of, do you know the one I mean? Of I do. I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's absolutely terrific. I think that picture. It is. And it, it, it's the one where he's, you know, he's got this long, little, thin neck, you know, going up, well, several feet between his shoulders and his and his head, and a little kind of Adam's apple vibrating in the middle. I absolutely love it, you know, and you know, this big Eccles face. It's my favourite picture ever of uh, a goon character. <laughs> it's, but, quite, um, it's quite detailed as well. The rest of them are yeah, just scribbles that yeah. they've obviously scribbled on yeah. scripts. Yeah, but who drew that picture of Eccles? Well, I'm going to say Larry Stevens. It is Larry Stevens, because obviously he gets very little mention in this mm. book, uh, which is an incredible shame. But um, there is a note just at the beginning. That's the sound of me turning the pages. Um, somewhere it says, oh, yeah, the drawings on pages 104, 108 and 123 are by the late Larry Stevens. That's about the only mention that he gets in the book, which is unfortunate. Um, it doesn't even include this one, but I think this is obviously another Larry Stevens mm, uh, yeah. piece yeah. of work. And because um, it's the lettering on it, and the you know the the line that it's drawn with is is the same as as the other ones on the other pages that they refer to, and it's you know he's a considerable talent. We we sort of can't see him really. I mean you know we've got Judy Warren's book, which is yeah. excellent, mm -hmm. and everyone should read that, and uh, that just fills in a lot. But um, you know it's what I you know I was going to say last time, and we didn't have time. Was uh, you know we should think of the goons as as a four man team. In fact, that's the other time that he is mentioned in this book is in one of those um, old newspaper articles, magazine articles. That's right. They, they, they mention about, you know, uh, you know, the goon team and the, the three performers and two writers. Mm. And one of the writers also happens to be one of the uh, the performers. So, um, so you can see. It's, you it's kind of like um, the League of Gentlemen. It's, it's Larry yes. Stevens is almost like Jeremy Dyson. That's right. You know, we should think of him more like that that he is mm. you know so you know you, you think like obviously when he dies that's a that's a tragedy for him but you think how much it affects the others because you know the other day you you were talking about the you know the lost harry seacom sitcom surely larry would have come up with a harry seacom mm. sitcom at mm. some point because he was one of them you know you can see from this picture he's just in with their sensibility yeah. and you know their, their sort of humor and their you know these these are really good pictures that he contributes to this it's just unfortunate that these are the only things that we get of him in this book uh in the book of the goons you get a great photograph of him and milligan you know in the office sort of um working there uh but uh, you know so little information obviously you know they, they've tried to do all these as spike milligan only scripts but um uh then when you look at when the uh, Goon Show Companion came out and you looked at the um, attribution of the scripts through that, you sort of realised that oh, Harry Stevens co-wrote or wrote 
something like 75 percent of yeah. all the goon shows that ever went out you know yeah. it's a huge figure in this mm. and uh, the other thing I was to sort of think, you know, taking nothing away from Spike, because Spike, as we know, we love Spike. He is just the great comedy genius. And, um, you know, there's no good show without Spike at all. It's just infused with his brilliance of mind and all these jokes and just incredible ideas. That's pure Spike. You know, we know that. Yeah. But um, nevertheless, you compare the structure of the Goon Show, the format of the Goon Show, which, you know, we really like, don't we? Yes. Um, with what Milligan does afterwards. And mm, uh, mm. you can see that The Goon Show is a collaborative thing. It's yeah. not entirely one person's work. The characters, you know, Spike isn't really somebody who goes creating great numbers of memorable characters, I would say, after The Goon Show. Would you disagree? I agree. You are, you are yeah. right. He tends to have the stock characters yeah. or, or stock voices that he will do in yeah. on in yeah. queue and it often it's the it's the slightly shabby um bearded character with yeah. the william mate voice yeah uh, which he didn't do in the original show but no. you know, he sort yeah. of adopts that and does that so often mm. and uh, but you know it's it's just not doesn't seem to be his interest his forte he doesn't he's he, he's not bothered about doing that well even and, if you look at you look at something like Pacoon, um the central character in Pacoon is Milligan, isn't it? Yes. Well, he's called the Milligan, Dan the Milligan. Milligan. Yes. Yeah. The cottages have been condemned as unfit to live in, except during thunderstorms and depressions. The year after the Throbbles, the Irish Free State Government had bequeathed the cottages to those who had helped rid Holy Island of the English, the Tans, and for that matter, anybody. One such beneficiary was Dan Milligan, son of a famous paternity order. With a roof over his head, he had ceased work, living off his pension and his wits, both hopelessly inadequate. This sun-barbered morning, the Milligan lay full length on the grass, head against the wall, his eyes lost in the shadow of his cap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's the other thing, you know, um, in terms of narrative, he, he does seem to struggle with narrative. Again, it's not really his interest, you know, so he does pacoon. And you think, oh, there would then be a series of Spike Milligan novels. That would be a great thing for him to do. But he doesn't really, you know, he, he comes back and he does novels sort of much later, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he does. a few. Hmm. But um, the, 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 the good thing about the war memoirs is at least he's got, it's based on yeah, facts. So he's, that's he's right. it's, it's facts, it's things that happened with gags. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, so I think this Guncho scripts, it comes at, at um, a real turning point in Milligan's career because yeah he's had Adolf Hitler my partner's downfall that's come out the year before and uh, then you've got this goon show script which makes the goons a thing again I think in a big way which perhaps they hadn't been so much before this all came out mm. so um so you know these are the great things we remember him for I think you know that if you look at his career through the the 60s it's strange that you know, he does so many things which don't really progress. So like you say, there's Pacoon, but you don't really get, you know, follow-up Milligan novels at that time. He does, he begins the 60s, he does the um, the films, uh, yeah. you know, Invasion Quartet and uh, Postman's Post, Knock. Postman's Knock, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> obviously the idea there is, you know, I will be a film star like Peter Sellers, but then that stopped. You know, he does films later, but it's not quite 
the same thing you know obviously yeah. they were had some intention with those early 60s films uh even the bed sitting room the bed sitting room is quite a success isn't it uh on stage even if not as a film mm. but um it's not followed up with more kind of milligan plays well he, he never has a starring vehicle he's never a star of a film after postman's knock is he because even bed, bed no. sitting room he's not the star because it's more of an ensemble piece yes you talk about the bed sitting room film the other week and uh, the interesting thing is you look at uh, Richard Lester's career slight gap of several years after the bed sitting room comes out and then he comes out <laughs> with um, three musketeers three or four, four musketeers I can't remember. and uh, that gets his career back on track of course Milligan's in that again as a kind of you know yeah uh, cameo or you know sort of uh you know he's, he's there in the cast isn't he well he's, um, he's the husband of Raquel Welsh yes of course yes <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so all through the 60s it seemed like he's doing these things and they don't particularly lead you know well they don't lead to more of the same thing at any rate he does two series as muses with Milligan he does beach coma yep and it's just sort of all over the place. And then in the early 70s, you know, with the war memoirs, with the goons, with Q now up and running, and then, you know, coming back later in the 70s. And then the live shows as well, of course. And that, I think, that really defines Milligan as we see him now, looking back. You know, yeah. these, these, you know, this is the kind of rounded image of him. But, you know, if something had happened to him after the bed sitting room came out, you know, I think, we, you know, it would seem a bit different, but um, yeah. Well, also because he was turning up on chat shows, he was a yeah, he was a perennial yeah. chat show guest, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was always good yeah. value, almost always good value. Yeah, uh, but I think you know the Guncho scripts. You know, it it's one of his great books, and of course, it's not even in print as far as I know now. It's it's gone because yeah. Ah, that, I mean this 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 book. Um, yes. I'm sure. I don't know about you, but I'm sure that many a, a schoolboy in the 70s with his friends would have got together a, a little uh, impromptu theatre troupe and performed plays of these some of mm. these shows mm. um, I'll, I'll tell you what would be much much sadder than that if you can imagine such a thing oh, is okay. uh, if, if if a small boy yeah. who had a copy of these scripts mm. and had never heard any goon shows but um, <laughs> around the same time that he got the copy of the Gucci script. I, you know, I'm not talking about anyone in particular, no. of course. Uh, but you know, had acquired his first cassette tape recorder, mm. and would then spend hours just recording the entire <laughs> shows, <laughs> all by himself, doing all the voices. Um, uh, wow. Anyway, there's there's no evidence of such a thing <laughs> ever happened, but um, uh, yeah, because the other thing is. Um, even just the layout of the scripts just sort of influenced me because I thought that's how you lay out. That's not how you lay out a radio script. But even to this day, I would prefer to lay out a script if I was writing, if anyone asked me to write a script, I prefer to lay it out like it's laid out in the yeah. show scripts book. Because uh, that's just, that's, you know, it's the way you first perceive these things. You know, it's just so important. You, you define yeah. this thing, this is for me. This is my thing. This is, I absolutely love this. This is great. And, uh, you know, it's the way you find it first. That seems the perfect sort of, you know, expression of it. You know, so you just absolutely. always want it to be, to be just the same. Just another little point I want to make. So late 80s it would have been. I'm mm. watching this, the 
watching TVNZ where I grew up. Yeah. And they were showing this Michael Caine film. Uh, not very well known now. Don't even it was very well known then, but it's it was called The Romantic English Woman. Oh. And, and it was from 1975. And it was Michael Caine and it was Glenda Jackson. So they're in this film. It's not a particularly good film, but I like Michael Caine. So I was watching it when I was, uh, you know, I just got into the goons and I also was watching this film. I'm a fan of Caine. And there's a scene where they're in bed. Not that yes. kind of, not that kind of scene, but they're in bed. No. They're, they're both propped up in bed reading. And she's reading. I don't know. She's reading something worthy, like a Sheridan Le Fanu or something. I don't know. She's reading something quite, quite highbrow. And he starts off reading. I think he starts off reading a, a, a pamphlet about tax returns. And while they're doing this, they're talking to each other, by the way. Yeah. And then he, he, he gives up reading. He, he gives up reading the pamphlet. And he reaches over and he gets, I don't know, I can't remember what it is. It might be a um, Woolworths catalogue or something, you know, I don't yeah. know. And he sort of flicks through that and then he puts that down and then he reaches across and he, and what, what does he, what does he reach for, Mike? He reaches for this yellow. The goon show script. Goon show script. Yeah, there it is. There with it is. That cover. And he's there and he's talking. 55p. Yes. And he's talking to Glenda Jackson about, I don't know, <laughs> some infidelity or something. I don't know while reading about the Phantom Head Shaver of Brighton. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And um, just finally, just finally, just the um, the reviews on the back cover, uh, they have all the, you know, the reviews from the newspapers saying how great this book is. But of course, the one that they don't include is the one from the New York Times. Oh, of course, yes, yes, and, indeed. Um, mm. Yeah, which you know, but uh, it's great, isn't it? Because... Um, this is just from the final paragraph of the New York Times review of the Goon Show Scripps book. Uh, and the writer says, I'm supposed to write 800 words, but I can't count. Anyway, Spike wouldn't approve. I could go on all day about the goons and their influence on a generation, at least one, but it doesn't seem to be about the book. I keep thinking how much easier it would be to review for a British paper. What the hell? I've never reviewed anything in my life before. Now I know why critics are nasty. It would be easier if I didn't like the book, but I do. And I'd love you to love the goons as I do. So take a chance. Who wrote that? Uh, Freddie Garrity from Freddie and the Dreamers. Quite right, it was. Freddie Garrity. No, it was somebody else from <laughs> British Invasion. It was Mr. John Lennon. He yeah. did the review of this book for the New York Times. And uh, it's a terrific thing because uh, he goes right through and he says about how much you know the goons were an influence on him. Um, and George Martin, of course, you know, the, the, that impressed them because he'd recorded with Milligan and Sellers. Yep. And he says, our studio sessions were full of the cries of Neddy Seagoon, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the, there's, there's a great, speaking of, you know, Michael Caine and Glenda Jackson in bed, reading, reading these things, Lennon goes on to say, there are records of some of the original radio shows, some of which I have, but when I play them to Yoko, I find myself explaining that in those days there was no Monty Python. So that's a thought, isn't it? Yeah. John there getting out his copy of, you know, Best of the Goon Shows Volume 2 and, mm. uh, you know, sitting sitting Yoko down to listen to, uh, you know, Tales of Men's Shirts. Um, well, when they were, I'd like to think that when, when, when they were in Amsterdam in that bed, I'd like to think that he was playing... Tales of Old Dartmoor to Yoko. <laughs> <laughs> he mentions Tales of Old Dartmoor in this. 
yeah. yeah so it's obviously really important i mean it talks about his um daily howl things we used to do oh yeah uh which was uh he says newspaper i think it was just you know sort of stuff in his jotter at school and um and he says how similar that was to the goon show it even had uh highly esteemed in the title and uh so well, uh, yeah. yeah he says yeah he says uh Spike Milligan's a genius. Peter Sellers made all the money. Harry Seacombe got showbiz. I love all three of them dearly, but Spike was extra. You know, there's obviously Lennon loves the goons, just like we love the Beatles. So, you know, it's just a really nice piece. But they didn't bother putting that on the cover. Why would they? No. I mean, you know, it's from an American newspaper. So, you know, don't bother with that. But uh, no, crazy. It's, a nice piece. it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Nice little piece. By... They could have got it on the paperback, presumably, because that's, uh, yeah. Well, someone would have got fired for that omission these days. I love to think, I love the fact he says that he loves all three of them dearly. I'd love, I'd, I'd love to spend an afternoon with, not that it's ever going to be possible, of course, but an afternoon in the pub with, John Lennon and Harry Seacombe. <laughs> well, you, you've got almost the same thing, haven't you, with um, being able to see Sellers with the Beatles on Get Back. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's an awkward little is. moment there, yeah. isn't it? What's going on there? So, uh, you know, um, they do other shows. They publish books of scripts of other shows uh, sort of in the follow-up to this, Jeremy Robson takes the Goonge scripts and he sets up his own publishing house, Robson Books, mm. and uh, that's the one who does Book of the Goons. But um, your man, Frank Cass, and his Woven Press, they carry on and they do things like uh, Itmar scripts, which I've got down there somewhere, which that's, honestly, I mean, that, that's the thing. You sort of compare... I love the Itmar scripts book as well because it's just, you know, so redolent of the time and it's just like another world. But... Spike's jokes still leap off the page. They still seem like they could be written yesterday. You know, it's yep. uh, you know, yep. obviously, you know, people like Paul Merton are sort of keeping that thing, you know, he's not copying off Spike, but obviously that's still in the mix there, that style of joke telling and yes. just riffing on an idea. Um, you know, it still just seems so modern and so, uh, uh, and you know, just so up to date to us. So, you know, really is ahead of its time. And yet, yeah, and, and yet Itmar was only, yep. was only Itmar, 10 years before, wasn't it? Itmar really? is only 10 years before. So Itmar, at the time that this script book came out, would only be, what, 30 years earlier? You know, so what's that to us? You know, something like the Fast Show or Father yeah. Ted or something. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, yeah, but the goon, the goon script obviously just hit that sweet spot because you know they come back for you know fifty years of the BBC having been off air for all of twelve years mm. at that time, nineteen seventy-two, and um, you know so it just finds a new audience with you know. Well, the <laughs> thing is, as well, like me, the thing is, twelve years from today is 2010 which isn't that doesn't seem that long ago really yeah the, the olympics yeah. are still fresh in the memory and mm. and but you think that the 12 years between the end of the goon show 1960 and 1972 such yeah. a cultural revolution well in terms that is of, the thing yeah. looking at those old you know uh, magazine articles in there they seem as distant or they seemed as distant then as they do now, you know, that's just yeah. the 1950s. It's this murky black and white world, but you know, rather wonderful, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there we are. The, the Goon Show scripts helped bring the goons back, is my contention. And, uh, you know, part of the reason why we are talking today. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, more power uh, to them. A shame that they're not still, 
you know, they're, they're, you can find all these things online, but to have them in the book, it was just so special at the time. Yes. It's just, uh, just, you know, just a great discovery. But um, a little more Larry in it wouldn't have gone amiss. You no, know? You, no. You don't need to write him out of the story, you know. Milligan no, but, but is, you know. Thankfully, Julie has um, yes. um, put things right, I think, well, in yeah, many ways. Well, yeah, yeah. Although, of course, you know, if you look at the detail in her book, even some of the scripts in this Guncho scripts book may actually be more, you know, yeah. co-writes than you, you actually think. And Larry may have contributed to things like Phantom Headshaver and so mm. on. Mm. Um, so I, I, I don't know what the basis is for that, but uh, she seems to think, you know, that, and characters like Gravely Headstone cropping up, you know, which is a, yep. a Larry name. And, yep. um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it is just a shame that he wasn't acknowledged a little bit more in the book. But uh, there we are. A okay. great book, nevertheless. Absolutely. Well, I have enjoyed this conversation immensely. <laughs> I have. It sounds like I'm being sarcastic, my tone of voice, but it's <laughs> genuine. Uh, uh, no, it's been great. It's been a nice change as well. I mean, look, don't get me wrong, I enjoy talking about the goon shows themselves and the films and all the rest of it, but it's nice to have a, um, a little departure and, and talk about something that is, uh, you know, obviously uh, goonish and aligned to the goons, but uh, but something that's a bit different. So it's been really good. Have you got anything to plug at the moment? Oh, my God. Um, I did a show for Craig Revel Horwood off of the telly. That's oh. that's odd, isn't it? Oh. It's almost like I'm a proper person. I mean, you know, <laughs> I was asked to. I didn't just do it. Uh, so I think that might be, again, that was done ages ago, before the pandemic even. So uh, it was going to be, you know, 2020, and then it got put back, and there was going to be less. I think it might be going out this year finally in the spring so that will be an extraordinary thing because he is wow. an extraordinary man and there'll be a lot of singing and dancing and wonderful stuff and uh <laughs> yeah, i just hope i don't get a call after that you know all these jokes you gave us not a single one of them got a laugh <laughs> <laughs> but no, hopefully he will carry on carry it off because he is a brilliant performer so there's that there's the beatles book later in the year yeah or maybe there's more beatles books i don't know um yeah, there could be more. I mean, unfortunately, it sounds like a lot of things, but they're all things I did you know, years yeah. ago, shortly after I bought the Guncho Scripts book. Um, but they're <laughs> all only some dribbling out now. So, um, you know, hopefully there'll be something else before next time. <laughs> Very good. We will see. Thanks again to Mike. Uh, thank you for listening, as always. Uh, please follow on Twitter. It's at Pod, and follow the Guncho Preservation Society. Society. It's uh, at the GSPS and please rate and review on iTunes and also on Spotify. I believe you can do that now as well. So please do that and uh, just just rate and review me anywhere. You know, lavatory walls. Um, I'll take that. So until next time, take care of yourselves. I'll see you soon. Bye.